Hi, I'm Shashank Bhargav and you're listening to Three Things, the Indian Express news show. In this episode, we talk about the rise of COVID cases in Maharashtra. We also take a quick look at the recent comments made by External Affairs Minister S. Jayashankar. But first, we talk about the upcoming Assam state elections, the major parties that are contending for it and how they have been strategizing. Assam, which has a population of over 30 million, is scheduled to go to polls on the 27th of March. The state will see the elections happening in three phases for a total of 126 assembly seats. The government in the state right now is one led by the Bharatiya Janta Party, that is the BJP. The party had come to power in 2016 in an alliance with two other regional parties, the Ahamgana Parishad and the Bodoland People's Front. Together, they had ended the 15-year-old rule of the Congress party in the state. In fact, in the 2016 state elections, the Congress only won 23 seats, while the BJP on its own had managed to win 60. When we spoke to Abhishek Saha, who writes on Assam for the Indian Express, he told us what had actually enabled that. So the BJP came to power in 2016 with Sarbananda Sonwal as the chief minister. And it was also the BJP's win followed a 15-year rule by the Congress led by the then CM Tarun Gogoi. And there was also in 2014, Narendra Modi became the country's prime minister. And there was the Modi wave which continued. So it was under those circumstances that there was anti-incumbency, there was Modi wave, there was the BJP's promise of protecting the Jati, Mati and Bheti, the community, land and herd. So with that promise, they came up and they said that they will protect Assam from corruption, from extremism, from pollution. That was the circumstance in which the BJP came to power. And since then, they ruled for five years and the state saw a couple of critical points and a couple of very critical developments which were uh, unique to the country, like the National Register of Citizens, the NRC, which is essentially a list which was made with the purpose of segregating citizens and non-citizens. When that list got completed in August 2019, Abhishek says that it left out 19 lakh people in the state. And these are people whose citizenship is still stuck in limbo. But even apart from the NRC, there was also the implementation of the Citizenship Amendment Act or CAA, the controversial law that makes it easier for non-Muslim immigrants from India's three Muslim-majority neighbours, that is Afghanistan, Bangladesh and Pakistan, to become citizens of India. The law faced massive protests in Assam through 2018 till early 2020. It is also important to note that during these protests, five people were killed while clashing with security forces. Now, even though CAA is now a law, the government has not implemented it yet. Some say perhaps because of the protests. But now, leading up to the polls, having been in power for over five years, BJP is strategizing differently and is not talking about the CAA or the NRC at all. On the other hand, the BJP government says that they have steadfastly worked 
on several grounds in several departments through various infrastructural projects developmental schemes welfare schemes dolouts and what the party claims is mitigating corruption and militancy and taking steps to protect assamese culture so the poll narrative for the bjp on one hand it's focusing on development and the promise of further development it's promising on how having a bjp government in the center as well as in the state which amit shah keeps uh, referring to that it's a double engine ka sarkar that there are two engines which will drive the development of the state this is something that home minister amit shah has said while rallying in other states as well here's what he said in maharashtra in 2019 ki maharashtra ke vikas ko isi tarah se agar aage chalana hai to ye phir se par डबल इंजन सरकार बनाने की जरूरत है एंड दिस इज अ फ्रेज दैट प्राइम मिनिस्टर नरेंद्र मोदी हैज सेड इन द पास्ट एज वेल साथियों डबल इंजन की सरकार का सबसे बड़ा असर गरीबों को अपने पक्के घर देने की गति में दिख रहा है सो ऑन वन हैंड देयर इज द बीजेपीज डेवलपमेंट पिच दैट वी हैव डन सो मच फॉर द स्टेट but on the other hand there is also the politics of polarization and the politics of polarization gets a boost this time because for the first time the congress has formally allied with this regional party which is called the all india united democratic front the aiudf this party is led by an mp called badruddin ajmal he is a perfume baron he owns a large business of perfumes and he leads this party now this party though it's constitutionally it's a secular party but the imagery of the party and the perception in the minds of common people is that it's it's only bothered about representing muslim interests so the congress allying with the aiudf gives it on a platter to the bjp to criticize the alliance and to say that this alliance is pro illegal undocumented migrants it's not about protecting the assamese identity and culture and the congress has never cared for assamese interests anyway and this time they have allied with the aiudf so things will go further south in fact these comments by the bjp are not new the party had actually been making taunts about the congress and the aiudf saying that they had been working together for years this played into the narrative of the congress being pro minority and having a tacit tie up with an organization which supposedly represents only minority interests so the bjp has always played that card and this time because the alliance has been formalized by both the two parties therefore the bjp is uh, going all out even in his sunday speech the home minister he constantly mentioned the alliance and he constantly targeted and asked people that who do you think can work for assam's betterment is it narendra modi or badruddin ajmal and rahul gandhi aap batao bhai assam ka bhala modi ji kar sakte hain ya badruddin ajmal kar sakte hain rahul gandhi kar sakte hain kon kar sakta hai batao bhai 
and while addressing the people in Assam Amit Shah has also said that if they were to vote for Congress then all their votes will go to Ajmal and which will then lead to more infiltrators coming into the state Mitro Congress party ko aapka diya hua ek ek vote Badruddin Ajmal ko mile aur Badruddin Ajmal ko mila hua ek ek vote Assam ko ghuspetiyon se bhar de BJP's strategy of polarization is not limited to this though. Abhishek says that the party has also been targeting the Bengali origin Muslim community in Assam. The BJP's political narrative is very clear. Their top leaders differentiate Muslims in Assam into two broad categories. They say that one is an Assamese Muslim which is against whom we have nothing and they are also more or less on our side. But there is the bengali origin muslim community which is derogatorily called the mia community and the bjp especially some of its leader in particular have gone all out against this community there have been statements made that we don't need their vote and yet we will win over 100 seats and there have been further sarcastic comments that there might be a congress wave but it will not be in india or assam it will be in bangladesh The first comment that Abhishek mentioned was actually made by Himanta Biswa Sarma a senior BJP leader in the state But the people who has challenged Assamese language who has challenged very ethos of our identity I don't want their vote if somebody wants their vote that is their business but I don't want their vote So if you identify yourself as a Mia Muslim don't vote for us If you identify that the Assam is Muslim, definitely vote for us. Now, by going against this community, Abhishek says that the BJP aims to consolidate the Hindu votes in other parts of the state. They want to create an a, a political narrative, a rhetoric of fear of otherization, basically in a way, so that and hope that in that way they could see a consolidation of Hindu votes. The BJP this time is an alliance with two regional parties. One is the Aham Gana Parishad, which is currently in power with it in the state, and the second is a newly formed party called the United People's Party Liberal or UPPL. And its main opposition is the Congress Party, of course, which, like mentioned earlier, is an alliance with the Abruddin Ajmal's AIUDF, a party that enjoys the support of the so-called Mia community that the BJP has been targeting. But the Congress is also in alliance with three left parties and two other regional parties that includes the Borderland People's Front which had allied with the BJP in the last elections and which represents one of the largest tribal communities in Assam. This together is being called the Grand Alliance in the state. So that's BJP with the two regional parties and the Congress with the Grand Alliance. Now, even though the Congress party was in power for one and a half decades, its position in the state has considerably changed so the party's patriarch kind of was tarun gogoi the three time former cm and he died late last year and after his demise there the party has done its best to come out together and put up a united front against the bjp but if you talk to people inside the party there is clearly a sense that there is a lack of a chief minister face in case the party or the grand alliance wins there are of course 
well-known and loved leaders of the Congress, but there is also there isn't also an unanimous choice that this person will be the CM face when if and when we win the elections. So the Congress also suffers from that right now. But even apart from this, Abhishek says that there have been talks of factionalism and internal disagreements within the party. Now, in the days leading up to the elections, the party's main strategy seems to be banking on the anti-CAA sentiment, since a large section of society in Assam is opposed to the act. Because they feel that this act is detrimental to the interests of the indigenous people of the state, because it could allow more non-Muslim migrants to come into the state. So there is a sentiment against the CAA and the Congress hopes to bank on that. And apart from that, they are also trying to woo the tea garden community, which comprises around 17% of the state's population. And they are a very important voter base for all the parties. And it was a Congress base at one point of time, but now it has been penetrated very effectively by the RSS and the BJP. So the Congress wants to woo the community by announcing schemes and increasing their wages if the party comes to power. This is the reason why earlier this month, the General Secretary of the All India Congress Committee, Priyanka Gandhi, had visited the tea gardens in Assam. There she had interacted with workers and personally promised to increase their wages. Apart from that, the Congress has also attacking the BJP by saying that all the achievements, that many of the achievements that the BJP claims were actually things which were started in the Gogoi government's time. And they got completed when the Sonwal government was in power. So those are the kinds of arguments that the Congress is forwarding. Now, even though, like Abhishek mentioned, the Congress is relying heavily on the anti-CAA sentiment, sources in the party also say that the issue might be losing traction among some voters. There is, of course, a palpable sense of grievance against the CAA because people really hold it uh, to be against the interests of Assam. But at the same time, there are also people who feel that there are also far more practical needs of constituencies and villages in the constituencies, the roads and infrastructure and day-to-day needs, everything. They feel that the the BJP is a good option to achieve all those things at a constituency level. So the BJP basically steps into this election hoping that their welfare schemes and the projects they have completed, that this helps them override the anti-CA sentiment. And now, apart from the BJP and its allies, the Grand Alliance with the Congress, the election is also seeing a third front. And to understand it better, Abhishek gives us an overview. This election is basically a three-cornered fight. On one hand, you have the BJP with its two allies. And there is Grand Alliance by the Congress where there is the left, there is the AIUDF, and there are these two regional parties, one of them which is a very influential regional party called the Boroland People's Front. And on the third end of this battle is is this new alliance of two new regional parties. And these two regional parties are again very interesting because these two regional parties called the Okhom Jatiyo Porikhod and the Raizor Dal. So 
AJP and RD to be put it in a short form. So these two parties, both of them have their origins in the anti-CAA protests in Assam in 2019. And uh, the protests had uh, peaked in December 2019, wherein uh, protesters clashed with security forces and five people were killed. So these two parties are basically backed by organization, which were very instrumental in those protests. So this is the political structure under which the elections are taking place. And the background against which they are happening makes them unique. So definitely this election is seeing a kind of very rigid fault lines in terms of identity, identity politics, in terms of questions of Assamese nationalism and the BJP's brand of nationalism. So these are difficult questions which are at play in this election. But how that translates into votes, we'll have to see that. And next we talk about Maharashtra. The state of Maharashtra has been seeing a massive surge in the number of COVID-19 cases. For some time now, it has been the biggest contributor to India's daily number of infections. In fact, it is now contributing almost 60% of all cases in the country. And this surge started around the first week of February, a period when other parts of the country were also seeing a rise in cases. This is what is being called as the second wave of the pandemic. When we spoke to Amitabh Sinha, who has been extensively reporting on the coronavirus numbers for the newspaper, he told us about these states as well. Most notably Punjab. There is small, Gujarat is also showing a surge. There's a small increase happening in Madhya Pradesh, now also in Delhi, and smaller ones in, say, Tamil Nadu as well. But the bulk of all the cases that we are seeing in the second wave is coming from Maharashtra, much more than what it was in the first phase that we saw, peaks that were seen in August and September, October. That was the time that India was reporting around 80,000, 90,000 cases every day. Even at that time, Maharashtra was the biggest contributor. But at that time, Maharashtra was contributing about the maximum. It was about 35, 38% of all the cases in India. Right now, it is 60% plus. So as we can see, it's like it's mostly Maharashtra, which is driving up the numbers in India. He says that in Maharashtra, the cases have gone up to around 16,000 a day. And this is the kind of surge that the state was seeing last year in August and September. That time too, Maharashtra had been one of India's highest contributors. But Amitabh says that the difference this time is that there has been a much more of a rapid rise in cases. Previous time, the rise was much more slower and there was considerable amount of time that was spent in the between 8,000 to 10,000 bracket and 10,000 to 12,000 bracket. And then it was slowly going up reaching to 16,000, 17,000 and then upwards from there. But right now, it's been between, say, around this time in February, about a month ago, Maharashtra was reporting about 3,000 cases a day. And from 3,000 to now 16,000, it's been a fairly rapid rise. So that's one difference. And what some of the people who are some of the experts and scientists who are tracking these trends, they are saying Maharashtra would probably touch 20,000 in the next few days, and then hopefully it will start to uh, slide back once again. 
But apart from a rapid rise in cases this time, the other difference that Amita points to is that this time the number of deaths that we are seeing seem to have reduced. And not just for Maharashtra, but also for the entire country. Last year at one point, India was recording more than a thousand deaths a day. But during this recent surge, the deaths have been in the three-digit range. That is more than a hundred, which is comparatively low. And if we look at the data, like even month-wise uh, mortality rate figures, that number is going down. So every month, how many people have died compared to how many people have tested positive? That ratio has been going down consistently. So that is uh, something a lot of people say is uh, the trend is going in this in a satisfactory direction. But we are still not out of the woods as yet. We can probably see a rise in death because the lag period is not totally over. People sometimes die even after three or four weeks after getting infected. So we are still not completely out of the woods and we probably will have to look at the numbers in the next one week, ten days more carefully. Now the main question that surrounds this entire thing is, why are cases rising in Maharashtra? And Amitabh says that no one really has an answer to that question. When attributing reasons, some point to the fact that Maharashtra had Gram Panchayat elections in January, or the fact that Mumbai had started local trains also in January, and the fact that there has been an increase in weddings and family functions also in January. January, incidentally, was the wedding season in the state. Now, while that may be the case, while these reasons might have contributed to the rise in numbers in Maharashtra, none of these reasons is actually unique to Maharashtra. We have seen similar kind of gatherings happening in other states as well. Family functions or marriages are not restricted only to Maharashtra. It's happening all over the country. We are talking about Gram Panchayat elections. Come on. Bihar had a full-fledged assembly election. West Bengal and Assam are going through uh, assembly elections and we are seeing massive rallies, political rallies in these places. And these are the states where we don't see the surge in number. So while these reasons may have contributed, they cannot solely be held as the probable reasons for why we are seeing rise in Maharashtra. Because if that was the reason, we should have seen similar rises in other states as well. So I don't think we really understand why it is happening, exact reason. So there are lots of local factors at work, lots of uncertainties, a lot of uncertain variables, which we do not fully understand as of now. Though when talking about the cases in the state, Amitabh says that what seems to be happening is that the places that saw a high prevalence rate during the first wave they are not reporting as many cases now. And this is the case vice versa as well. Like the previous time, there were lots of cases coming from even slums or high-density population areas. This time, a lots of cases are coming from so-called middle-class localities or high-rise buildings. So these were more or less shielded the previous time. But this time, the cases are coming from these areas. And it's not very surprising. The areas that were exposed earlier and had very high prevalence rates the previous time. They have had a large number of people already infected. The other areas, which had relatively smaller number of people infected, right now have potentially large number of people who 
can still be infected and that's where the numbers are coming from the other thing about the surge in maharashtra that made news last week was the city of nagpur and how it was undergoing a lockdown for a week the lockdown that actually started yesterday amitabh says that the thing to note about nagpur is that it has always been a big hotspot but has always been overshadowed by pune and mumbai that see a higher number of cases the city has consistently been in the top 10 worst affected cities of the country and has also recorded over 3500 deaths till now which again is the seventh highest death toll for any city in the country and after the decision was made for nagpur to go under lockdown there were talks that this might happen to other cities as well but that seems to have changed now moreover amitabh says that a lockdown may not even be possible for cities like mumbai and pune and that a lockdown may not be the right strategy to begin with so there's much larger economic activity happening in the mumbai pune region in this entire belt in between mumbai and pune and adjoining areas and nagpur is relatively a quieter place so it can go in for this kind of lockdown in pune it has been rejected the idea did come up at one of the review meetings in bombay the municipal commissioner was quite categorical that mumbai is not going in for a lockdown anytime soon we there is no immediate threat of that so bombay and pune probably it's much more difficult to get into a lockdown but even otherwise what experts are saying is lockdown is not really the right kind of strategy to be applied at this point of time initially when we had to build up capacities when we had to we needed a little bit of breathing time to actually set up the hospital infrastructure to get the critical care facilities going and installed so at that point of time the lockdown did give you some amount of breathing space and it was a very critical tool and we had seen how it had slowed down the curve when a lockdown had first been imposed in in march and april last year but right now when all these systems are already in place lockdown is likely to achieve very little a lockdown he says might force people to reduce their gatherings but would not have any large scale benefits Meanwhile what experts continue to stress upon of course are the basics wearing masks washing hands maintaining hygiene and following social distancing and even though the covid-19 vaccination drive is on right now it won't exactly help here amitabh explains why the effect of the vaccines start to become evident only after a few weeks after the second dose has also the complete dose has been given so right now about 2.5 crore 2.7 crore people have been vaccinated but very few of them have actually got their second dose these are all people who have got the first dose only the second dose just started about a month ago but not many people have got the second dose as of now and even after getting the second dose it takes about 3 to 4 weeks probably more for the immunity to build up so vaccines would play a role but not immediately in the next say 2 months or so we will see the impact of vaccination also becoming evident on the rising cases but as of now it's not there and uh, that's just because they take time to build your immunity and 
and in the end we talk about the recent comments made by external affairs minister S J Shankar earlier this month the washington based noted think tank named freedom house had demoted india's freedom score from free to partly free saying that rights and civil liberties have been eroding since narendra modi became prime minister in 2014 In its annual report it specifically referred to attacks on muslims and the use of the sedition law similarly last week sweden based vdem institute said india is no longer an electoral democracy and classified the country as an electoral autocracy while contending that much of the decline in democratic freedoms occurred after bjp's victory in 2014 Now last week on Saturday Jay Shankar was being interviewed at the India Today conclave and in an unusually candid response he slammed these reports for their quote unquote hypocrisy and called them self-appointed custodians of the world Here's an excerpt from the India Today conclave You know you use the dichotomy of democracy and autocracy you want the truthful answer it's hypocrisy It's hypocrisy because you have a set of self appointed custodians of the world who find it very difficult to stomach that somebody in india is not looking for their approval is not willing to play the game they want it to be played so they invent their rules their parameters pass their judgments and then make out as though this is some kind of global exercise You are listening to Three Things by the Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Shashank Bhargav, and was edited and mixed by Suresh Pawar. If you like the show, then do subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it. Share it with a friend or someone in your family. It's the best way for people to get to know about us. You can tweet us at Express Podcasts and write to us at podcasts at IndianExpress dot com.